All right, folks, Yishai Fleischer here, broadcasting live from the heart of Hebron uh, to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. And we are right now in a petting zoo, makeshift, basically a destroyed uh, uh, Arab houses on, on what was the Jewish ghetto here in Hebron and has now been turned into a makeshift petting zoo. You hear in the background the Yalaw Wakbar. Today's a big day in Hebron. Uh, we got thousands of people coming here today. Not as big as it could be because A, it's kind of rainy, and B, there's a humongous parade procession to the community of Evyatar that was established, kind of destroyed, and is trying to be reestablished. Uh, and it is Pesach, and not a simple Pesach this year. A Pesach also that included uh, the murder of uh, two sisters, uh, Maya and Rina. Uh, D from the town of Efrat in Gush Etzion, and that funeral, which you're going to hear about later with me and Arya Bramwitz. Uh, and also, uh, an Italian tourist was killed, run over. And a lot of tensions, a lot of you know issues are coming out. And yet at the same, you know, Jews are going up to the Temple Mount. This is the highest year ever recorded of Jews going to the Temple Mount, some kind of a rise of 59%. So, you know, a, 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 a um, how should I say, a very... Uh, it, there's high highs and low lows, very up and down energy around here. Uh, but keeping it all together for us is Malka Fleischer, uh, who keeps the show together and keeps our family together. Malka, shalom and welcome. Thanks so much, Ishai. It's fun to be here in Hebron, but you're totally right. You know, as a person who really loves the holidays, this has been a tricky one. This has been a tricky one. Um, we've been dealing with terrorism. We've been dealing with a, a, a feeling of a little bit of weakness, a little bit of lack of support, um, and it's it's not great. But at the same time, you know, we went to Birkat Koanim, we went to the blessing of the priests in Jerusalem, and it was beautiful, and we saw thousands of people come out, and people in good moods and festive uh, feelings, but it has been muted. Um, for example, yesterday was supposed to be a um, like a festival day here in Hebron with music and, and real fun. And um, that, unfortunately, was made to coincide with the burial of two beautiful sisters uh, from right here in Judea. And because of that, uh, even though the girls were not from Hebron, uh, the city of Hebron felt it inappropriate to go forth with uh, joy and dancing. So they canceled the music portion of the event. Thousands of people arrived at the funeral. Um, and I think, Isha, you'll be, people will be hearing a little bit more about that later on in the show. We actually have a very interesting show. We have uh, like some, some deep thoughts. Uh, we have Arya Lightstone of the Abraham Accords fame. He's on the show. He was with me at a wedding of two very kind of important people in my life, uh, Uri Plachowski and, uh, and Nachum Siegel. Their kids got married. I was about to say they didn't get married. No, that's right. Thank you, Malka, for that <laughs> clarification. Yeah. And then uh, I also spoke with uh, uh, with Zev Ornstein from the City of David about King David and about uh, and about talking about King David in our time. And then finally, right at the f- end of the funeral, I spoke with Arya Bromwitz with a very intense and, and serious uh, kind of conversation, not an easy one. And as we're talking right now, we're 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 he, he, here. We are at a great like this is an example of exactly where we are in life, right? And where we are in 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 our time and our generation. We're in basically like surrounded by rubble, 
rad and call all kinds of destroyed buildings. And yet there's this like makeshift petting zoo in here. And yet there's this new Hebron hotel right over there that we're fixing up. And this is going to be a, a new community. And at the same time, so there's like a little bit of ruin. There's also turkeys. There's also turkeys. Hmm. What is Thanksgiving? Anyway. And, uh, and there's these, uh, yeah, there's these, it's, 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 it's both at the, at the very same time. There's also a beautiful march happening. It's, it's quieter here than usual in Hebron this year, not just because of uh, maybe perceived threats of terrorism or the weather, or all these things, but also because of a really nice reason, which is that there is a big, big march going to the, the um, town of Eviatar. And there's supposed to be some like 15 Knesset members, ministers. Uh, we think we passed a minister on the road on the way down here to Hebron who was on the way up to Eviatar. So a lot of people who are, um, who are ideologically, spiritually, and morally aligned uh, with this beautiful town are not going to be here today, but instead going to be going up to support a town that wants to be rebuilt. You know, Malka, uh, there's this professor in Jerusalem. He's some professor of literature. And he wrote, he writes to me, I wrote something about the protests in Tel Aviv that were happening during the time that there's almost, you know, funerals about to happen and stuff like that, uh, and Passover and other issues. And we also had rockets. We had like some 45 rockets from Lebanon. And so I said, I wrote that that's kind of cold and heartless and also detached. So, and I wrote callous. So he, after, after the burial of these two sisters, I wrote something about it, and he writes, isn't it callous of you to put in their death into your rubric, your allegory, your biblical allegory narrative that you guys are weaving? So I'm like, I said to him, it's not an allegory. Yeah. The answer is no. Right. I wrote to him, it's not an allegory. We, are, we think of ourselves as people reliving the Bible, just like people who in the time of Ezra must have thought to themselves, like, this is like the time of Joshua. And we think of ourselves like the time of Ezra, the ingathering of the exiles. And like we are people who live with you know, the Bible as a real thing. And here it's happening right now. Um, and I think we're having like a biblical style challenge right now. And I wrote to him about that literature. I said, I said some people, you know, read literature. Other people live literature. And he was not having any of that. And it was just like... Well, that's not literature, though. The Bible's not literature. The Bible is a historical account and our national experience. It's not uh, Gilgamesh. It's not like a tale of a great hero or great heroes. This is the story of our family. So it's not about living literature, I think. It's about understanding that your past informs your present, informs your future. Right. That's absolutely right. And that's why, like... And it was almost like he was saying, like... How dare you use the Bible to uh, inform the time that you're living in right now? How dare you use the Bible to be Jewish with today? How dare you use the Bible to be returning to Judea, practicing Jewish people returning to Judea, practicing Judaism? How dare you use the Bible? It's like, where are you living? I think it's, I think he might, I don't know him, but perhaps... He's living with a bifurcation. There are people who think that their Judaism is lived in the synagogue or even around the Seder table. And there are people who think that Judaism is a full body, 24-7 experience. I think we subscribe to the latter. Maybe he subscribes to the former. Um, and the problem is, is that, he, that there are people who feel very threatened by Jews who live Judaism all the time. They feel that that's a, a danger in multiple ways. Whereas they say, listen, I do my Judaism now and then I live my humanness or my modernness, 
most of the time, my westernness or my easternness most of the time, and Judaism informs that. But we say, no, our Judaism is the whole thing. Uh, that's Malka Fleischer, living Judaism all the time. That's right. Uh, folks, we have a great show lined up for you with a lot of good sound, a lot of good sound, a lot of important sound, like meaningful stuff. So tune in, uh, stay tuned, because we're going to have, uh, right now, we're going to first have uh, Arya Lightstone, uh, then Zev Ornstein, uh, and uh, then Arya Bromwitz. So I'm just going to let it play out straight. Go ahead, Malka. I just want to give a little warning to people uh, who are listening to the show. I know we have a lot of families who listen to the show. I want to let you know that the Arya Bromowitz segment is very intense. And for those of you who don't expose your children to the raw intensity of the, the hard issues like terrorism and death, then you may want to listen to that privately. Very fair and very accurate. All right, folks, so let's get right to it. Uh, here is my talk with uh, Arya Lightstone about really shaping the Middle East, thinking about it going forward, especially the Abraham Accords. Don't worry. The Ishaiflation show will be right back, so stay tuned. All right, folks, Ishai Fleischer here, and I'm at uh, a really important wedding. Maybe the wedding of the century. Let's just not exaggerate. But I'm here in Beit Shemesh, and it's a great wedding because two beautiful couples getting married. The two parents are friends of mine. Both the great radio show host, Nachum Siegel, Jamin the AM, grew up on that stuff in the tri-state area in uh, New York, New Jersey. Uh, and then uh, Uri Plachowski. Great teacher and rabbi here in Israel, works for Nefesh Benefesh. His wife is the mayor of Mitzpah Yericho, Eliza. So really an amazing kind of triad there for me personally. And then uh, their two children, really little versions of them kind of uh, standing up there in the chuppah. And I am here in Beit Shemesh, which has become a kind of capital for U.S. Jews moving to uh, Israel. You know, there's a few different kind of places where U.S. Jews kind of populate here in Israel. But Beit Shemesh is very, very, very strong. Um, at the wedding, lots of folks that I know, lots of people, friends, lots of smart folks that are making a difference in the country. And right now I'm sitting uh, next to one of my favorites uh, who's really making a tremendous difference in this world. And that is uh, our very own Arya Lightstone, uh, who served as senior advisor to the U.S. ambassador to David Friedman from 2017 till 2021. And then was tasked with putting the Abraham Accords into action. And he's continuing with pushing that ahead and solidifying that relationship between Israel and uh, the UAE and, and other Abraham Accords countries. He's also the author of a book that my mom recommended, which is called Let My People Know. You know that listeners to my show know that if my mom recommends it, it's not a small deal. Let My People Know, uh, the incredible story of Middle East peace and what lies ahead. Okay, Arya, great to be with you here. Fantastic to be with you, and your mother is truly my favorite Fleischer. She is, an, she is really the, she's the matriarch and very strong and she really enjoyed your talk in Hebron when you came with us to Parshat Chai Sarah. That was great. Um, Can I make a quick plug for that? If you have not been, you absolutely have to go. That Shabbat or another Shabbat, um, you know, I'm a guy who spent a lot of time being told various different things and when you see things, they're very different. I felt I knew Hebron. Spending Shabbat in Hebron with your family is completely and totally different than hearing about it from others. It's, it's, it's not a one-time experience. I know for the Lightstones, and I would recommend anybody listening who cares, uh, should, should really uh, uh, vote with their feet and spend a Shabbat uh, with Yishai, with, uh, with Hebron. 
And you know, Arya, that we now have this new hotel that you got to stay at, and that hotel is a big deal. And only, only it's now starting to dawn on us that we could do events. We're probably going to do a Shavuot big event there with learning all night. Then we're going to go up to the tomb of Rud and Ishai. So we're very excited to learn how to use this properly. Okay, uh, the last few weeks have been pretty um, tremorous. Is that a word? Uh, Tremor-filled here in Israel. Uh, the social bonds that, that are basically the, the, the pillars of cohesion in Israel, for example, the army, uh, has been put into question. It's, I call it unionized. The army's become unionized. We can kind of make decisions and to tell the government what it wants to do. Uh, tell me from your perspective. Um, oh, and you know what else? At the same time, I cannot even keep up with what's going on in America. It is so crazy the way it looks from here. So the world is in a tremorous place. On top of that, there's this whole new discussion, and I know that you touched this world also of technology. There's this whole other discussion about the dangers of AI. And it's like, and I listen to these people's language. They, they're talking about like, is the world getting nuked or something? So three, three mukdim, three, three um, centers, all kind of the technological, the Israeli, the American, all kind of in, in tectonic shifts. Give me a perspective. Uh, this is hard. I mean, I look at my kids, uh, my wife and I look at our kids, and, and I got to tell you, uh, our 12-year-old daughter is the single luckiest Jewish girl to ever be born. Uh, and if you interact with her on a daily basis, you wouldn't get that impression. As a 12-year-old girl with American citizenship who's had a chance to grow up a good portion of her life in Israel, any other Jewish girl throughout all of Jewish history would have traded places with her, bar none, literally bar none. And if you were to follow the stream in the streets, you would almost assume people would feel badly for her. And that's an insane proposition. Mm. Contrast that with I went to visit Saudi, I don't know, six, seven weeks ago. And, uh, and in Saudi, uh, we spoke to a group of 250 aspiring women leaders in Saudi Arabia. And these women have never been more excited about the future. And I got to tell you that that is a, a challenge for parents, for educators, for communities. Um, and that, that's a real, real issue. It, it ties back to exactly what you were talking about. A- AI, look, AI is technology. We'll either figure out how to harness it correctly or we'll figure out not to. Look at nuclear right now. Ukraine, Russia, uh, Iran, right? It's technology. Harnessed correctly could be unbelievable. Harnessed incorrectly could be the greatest disaster that could possibly exist. The protests in the streets in some ways is beautiful democracy. In other ways, it's complete and total anarchy. Where is the line? And then you get to sort of the final point, which is who are we as a people? And, and I think the difference in between Saudi and Israel, UAE, and the United States of America. And, and, and don't get me wrong for half a second. I, I would, there's nothing greater than the United States of America. And, and Israel is an incredible, incredible place. Uh, the difference is vision, right? Who's articulating Israel's going to turn 75 in a month from now? Who's articulating what Israel's supposed to look like at 75? Who's talking about Israel at 80 or Israel at 85 or 90 or 100? What's the Middle East supposed to look like? What does the U.S. articulate what they're supposed to look like? We are supposed to look like at 300. Without a vision, there's no real leadership. All there are are politicians who run, you know, like like six-year-olds playing soccer. There's the shiny objects. You run after the shiny objects. Meanwhile, the people with discipline are scoring the goals. Uh, and, and, and that's the difference. Where, where is our vision? It's sorely lacking. Okay, <clears throat> in the Middle East, um, you know, Israel, Israelis, we think of ourselves very highly. We're always thinking about ourselves. We're self-involved. The truth of the matter is it's an Arab region. 
and I've always lamented the fact that Israelis don't speak Arabic. I think it's a regional mistake uh, because we should speak Arabic. We should understand our neighbors. We should understand their language. On top of which, it's a Semitic language, which would give us an insight into our own language. So it would be like, you know, it would be very, very useful. But it's not done. And that makes us outsiders. Um, I've always wanted to go to Saudi Arabia. Tell me about Saudi Arabia. Tell me about the king there. Does he have a vision? Is, I mean, uh, ostensibly from what I read, he's got vision. He's got this new city that he's building in the Om. At the same time, a few months ago, maybe, maybe a year ago, there was like some 83 jihadis that were caught. And they were, their heads were off in one Friday afternoon. And maybe that's a good thing, or maybe it's a bad thing. I don't know. But 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 tell me about Saudi Arabia. Tell me about how it looks like there. Tell me about what they think of us. We're flying over them now, as we didn't do before. That's partially due to your great work. So, Arya Lightstone, give me a sense of this neighbor of ours. Yeah, so I'm the furthest thing from an expert. I'm really a, a uh, sort of new observer, if you will. But one of the things that they absolutely have is they have vision. And, and read Vision 2030. It's available to the world. Right. And it's not just a city neom. People are very excited about the city neom. But it's not. It's about women in the workplace. It's about GDP. It's about diversifying off where they are. There, maybe the vision of Israel in, at 80 should be uh, the ability for every kid to be trilingual. Look, you cannot be an economic powerhouse without English fluency. Right. But you can't be a regional powerhouse without... Arabic fluency. And why wouldn't that be a dream today? What has Israel done to readjust with the Abraham Accords about their relationship through the Middle East? Has there been any curriculum changes in the school? Have the Shin Bet people been trained what is supposed to happen when an Emirati lands on the plane? Do they, can they tell the difference between an Emirati and a Pakistani, right? These are basic things. And if that's not part of the curriculum, then what is? The Abraham Accords can't be a one-way street. It must be a two-way street mm-hmm. uh, with Israel, frankly, trying harder. Um, But one of the things that I think that nobody knows, uh, nobody knows, obviously people know, that people aren't paying enough attention to is that the future, at least the next 20 years, is the Middle East. The Middle East is not a source of chaos and destruction, but a place of peace and prosperity. And Israel will either be a critical linchpin to that or will be left behind. And that is, without a doubt, if you're looking for unlimited land, unlimited resources, and tremendous vision, and then add on to that, I know this will speak dearly to you, if you look at Abu Dhabi and Dubai for one moment, which are the paradigms of the Middle East today, they are ranked number one and number two as the safest cities in the world. I think Singapore is three. Right. Singapore is still very safe, right? right? Safety, confidence, ability to work mm-hmm. and, 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 and religiously observe freely mm-hmm. gives you the ability to be prosperous. And that's what the rest of the region is trying to do. Israel needs to be there. Today, Israel is not one of the safest places, and that's a challenge. I'm, I'm just like, I had to think, of, like I was listening to you, and I had to like take it in because I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, and, and people come back from the UAE, they're like amazed. They're just like, they're just like, and and you know, and a lot of a lot of my friends are like, I just saw monarchy work, and people are like, you know, this thing we talk about King David and all that kind of stuff, and yeah, you know, we're Jewish and democratic and all that, but there's this other thing, this other somewhere out there. They're like, I think I just saw it work, and people are come back, they they come back amazed at the at the law abiding. They, Go ahead. They do, and many of them come and visit with me with me after they've come back. And certainly the American groups who come back, and I just caution them. And Passover is the right season. Vayaka Malachadash, when a new king shows up, uh, that is the challenge with monarchy. Democracy is unbelievable. I think democracy will win. Every single time when it comes to innovation, let's ignore the Middle East for a moment and look at the U.S.-China. Freedom 
is going to yield greater results than tyranny. Freedom is going to win. Now, what is the balance in between where does freedom conflict? This is the difference between protest and anarchy. Protest, fine. Anarchy, not. Where is that line? And without vision, there is no line because you get to decide what your line is. I get to decide what my line is, and these guys don't get to decide a line. And what we're really like lacking, and I don't know which comes first. Maybe, maybe you can offer this. Is it leadership that will define the vision or a vision that will enable a leader to rise up to it? I don't know. But we desperately need both of them. The free world is, 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 is craving this. And do you know who else is craving this? Every one of these monarchies that look like models, and they are, are all looking for the U.S. to lead. They all are, because the U.S. is the superpower. And frankly, they view Israel, in many cases, as the direct line to Washington, D.C. So they're looking for Israel's lead as well. This friction that you see today in between Biden and Bibi, which I think is a little bit for politics, or maybe all for politics, is not healthy for anybody. It certainly doesn't enhance peace. It doesn't enhance prosperity. And it doesn't help any citizens, not of America or of Israel. It's pettiness. And we deserve more from our leaders. The UAE-Israel relationship is strong in the economic and technological sense. There's cooperation of various kinds. And there are tons of Israelis in the UAE. I hear from all my friends that, like, you just hear Hebrew in the streets. There's tons of Israelis. And they treat them real good. Now they opened up this Abrahamic center, which is like a synagogue, a church, and a mosque. It's supposed to be very beautiful. My friend Shmuley Boteach was just there. Great. You don't see a lot of UAE folks here. I heard through the grapevine that a lot of them were kind of uh, uh, harassed security-wise when they came into town. They didn't feel so good. It's a weird place for them. Israelis are more used to going to, you know, hanging out in weird places. Like, for them, it just didn't feel so comfortable. But I, I worry that we're going to have another situation like we, did, we do with Egypt, which is a very cold piece. Very, in fact, incredibly cold. I mean, it's a, full of anti-Semitism. Same thing with Jordan. We've got these things on paper with them, but they're almost bunk. You know what I mean? They could turn around in a second. Tell me, are we, are we in better shape vis-a-vis the Abraham Accords? Oh, yeah. Uh, not, not even close. And, and there are 15 different ways that we can look at this. At the end of the day, there are only 1.3, 1.5 Emiratis. In general, they're much more traditional. Uh, it's not like the women are going to hop on a plane in general and just come here to hang out on a beach. That's just not going to happen. And today, they're not running to Jerusalem either. Uh, are there business people going back and forth? Yes. Will there be more in the future? Yes. Uh, will it help Jordan and Egypt, where the Emiratis have meaningful influence, become closer to Israel? Absolutely. Uh, but the warmth will be there. Um, look, when you take a survey, I remember reading this maybe 10 years ago uh, from somebody in Nepal who asked what are the most two populous countries in the world. They said China and Israel. said, why? Because you can't go anywhere on a tour without seeing a Chinese tour bus or an Israeli tour bus. So, so Israelis are very good about getting places. This is a new place. I don't think the volume will stay at this volume that it has been. I think the business will continue to be great. Uh, it is a wonderful getaway. I think they are incredibly hospitable. But most importantly, you're not going to run into any anti-Semitism there. There is no concern of anti-Semitism, not because um, there's not 70 years of mistrust, but there's no concern of anti-Semitism because it's a place where hate truly has no place to be because hate is just not an acceptable form of conduct in the, uh, in the Emirates, which hate shouldn't have con- uh, in a, be an acceptable form of conduct anywhere. It's ridiculous that it's permitted in, in, in other places. And there you get to your concept of, well, where's my free speech versus where is my, um, you know, concern for the, for the rights of others. And, and this is the sensitive place that democracies have to walk and will continue to walk. Democracies shouldn't be comfortable. The second they're comfortable, it's likely not a democracy. 
Well, here in Israel, we're in a very uncomfortable moment, uh, and solving is not going to be so easy. We definitely have questions, and I, I have to agree with you that probably vision uh, is something that will unite. And I would, I would urge you, I want to throw out to you, imagine I would love to see you, you know, seeing hosting a conference on Israeli vision, uh, maybe together with your, with your former boss, uh, David Friedman, something like that, with the Friedman Center. I just would love to see a conference where we're talking about these issues. I think that Israelis need to hear that thing that you said about like, the Middle East being the future. I think, I think, I think, they, I think Israelis are... are uh, we, we have reverted to some ghetto consciousness, and it would be great to see kind of a, a consciousness which is broader uh, and, and more hopeful, even though Israelis are supposedly happy, uh, but there's no, I, I sense it's a ghetto type of happiness and not like we can, what I mean by ghetto is small, survive, okay, I'm happy with that. So I'm, I'm not fully positive about that. First of all, Ambassador Friedman is, is fantastic at, at promoting the right visions, but I think both he, certainly I, would like to see Israelis come and develop their own vision. For what they want to see, conference that yeah. you host. Yeah, correct, correct. But I mean, I'd, I'd rather see the president of Israel host that conference, or the prime minister, or or the the ministers of of uh, uh, coalition and opposition to say what can we agree upon that we can all row for. What I'd like to see Ambassador Friedman and Jared Kushner or Mike Pompeo or you name it host in America is a bipartisan. What do we want the Middle East to look like from the U.S. perspective for the next twenty five years? Because I got to tell you, our allies get whiplash. They turn around and they say, wait, I got Trump and then I got Biden. I got Obama and who, who knows who's next. And they don't know who to cater to, how to cater to. And, and that's a terrifying thing. And there's also the fear right now about the future of the dollar. Yeah, correct. Well, look, when America's weak, then, then look, the whiplash becomes a lot less because you, you don't have to look quite as carefully as to where America is. But I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on America. I think America is the superpower, needs to continue to be the superpower. We're, we've taken a step back. We'll take four steps forward. Uh, it's America, and, and we've got great leadership in the pipeline. We, Americans are, are, are fantastic and in, in, have ingenuity and creativity and patriotism, which all needs to be rebuilt and, and strengthened. Um, but, uh, but there needs to be a vision, and, and there, there should be a bipartisan vision. The Abraham Accords, this is why I wrote my book, Let My People Know, because A, nobody knows who I am, no, nor should anybody care, so I'm not a controversial figure. But it's ridiculous that the Abraham Accords aren't universally supported, Democrats, Republicans, all Americans, because it's good for America, and nobody's made the case to the American people why we become more prosperous and more safe because of these accords, and when they become expanded, just amplify that many times over. Okay, great take. Thank you very much. Ari Lightstone, I want to let you get back to uh, your table. It's time to get back to the wedding uh, here at the Plachowski and uh, Siegel wedding. Uh, Ari Lightstone is the author of Let My People Know, continues to be an ambassador for the Abraham Accords here in Israel. Thank you very much for being with us. Stay positive. My name is David Greco from Nashville, Tennessee. You're listening to the Yeshai Fleischer Show. Don't be afraid. Yeshai Fleischer Show will be right back, so stay tuned. All right, folks, Yishai Fleischer here, and I'm standing right outside of a beautiful matzah bakery. That's right. Uh, the ancient tradition to bake matzahs close to Pesach night continues, and for the last many, many years, I've been uh, baking matzah. Uh, here in Beit El, just meters away from where I really started my journey here in the land of Israel when we came on Aliyah with Malka, uh, a beautiful, beautiful Beit El, which has developed so nicely. Uh, and also, I am, uh, as usual, with the Mitzpenevo group uh, from Maalei Adumim. That's my uh, crew that a lot of folks that I went to yeshiva with a long time ago, about, uh, what, uh, I guess 30 years ago. <laughs> no, really 25 years ago. Uh, and amongst them is also my very good friend, Zev Ornstein, 
who is the Director of International Relations at the city of David, Ir David, ancient Jerusalem. Uh, and Zev and I have been uh, friends uh, in family and, and friends in life and also friends in uh, the efforts to propel forward Israel uh, and connect people to Israel. We really started a long time ago already at Yeshiva University and have continued in, 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 in um, paths that intersect a lot. Uh, and we're here together. Baking matzahs. Zev, so great to see you here at the Matzah Bakery. Uh, great to be here. Friends in uh, Baking Matzah also. About uh, you know, 10, 15 years we've been doing, doing it together. It's special, right? Tell me why it's special for you to bake matzahs. Why do you take the time? You're busy. Why do you, why do you uh, take the time to do this? And this year you brought more of your kids. I think one of the most special things about uh, the, Jewish, the Jewish people and the, and the Torah, the Bible is, you know, it says in the Bible, it says in our prayers that, that we need to remember the exodus from Egypt. But it's not an intellectual remembering. It's not like, oh, let me think about it for a second. Oh, I remember that, that three and a half thousand years ago uh, we were taken out of, uh, out of Egypt. Everything is experiential. And so uh, the whole point of the Passover Seder that we're going to be doing uh, another two nights, uh, we eat the matzah, we eat the bitter herbs, we, we tell the story uh, of what happened. Uh, we've been telling the same story for the last three and a half thousand years, and it's not just, you know, remembering, but it's actually reliving it and re-experiencing it and passing that on on to the children. And so when we bake the matzah ourselves, yeah, you can go to the store, you can buy a box of matzah that that you know some good people baked, and that's that's good and fine. Uh, but the more you could do, like I, I happen to like, aside from baking matzah, I like to get like the good horseradish root uh, and grind it up myself. And, you know, you get the tears flowing and you feel like the bitter herbs, right? Get a little bit of that bitter, bitter experience, the, the tears burning down, uh, coming out of your eyes. Uh, but all these are things that, that make it real. It's not just intellectual, not just academic, not just theoretical, uh, but something that's, that's very, very tangible. And, and that's the, the Jewish tradition in general. And all the festivals have various customs that are, are made, meant to bring things that took place thousands of years ago and bring them to life and make them relevant today, making uh, the Torah, making these festivals both so timely and timeless. Very good, very good. Um, Elon Adler, Rabbi Elon Adler, former neighbor of yours, now neighbor of mine, says to me, uh, I said to him, you know, there's always the, the guest that you have who, and he's a known comedian, Rabbi Elon Adler, so I said to him, you know, there's always a guest who's always in a bad mood and you have to deal with him, you have to cheer him up for the Seder night. He goes, yeah, bitter herb. That's what he said. He said, bitter herb is always there. <laughs> Speaking of bitter herbs, um, the uh, country has been through quite a, uh, quite a process recently. And people who know what's going on are like, I, you know, I, I can tell the difference where I live between the people who know what's going on and people who don't know what's going on. People who don't know what's going on, everything is just honky-dory. And, and there's people in, the, in one of the synagogues that I pray in that are just either below or above, and they just don't, they're not paying attention. But then the more, like, oh, po- politically aware people are walking around, especially in right-wing circles, with just a, a face like, what just happened to us? They just feel totally bamboozled by uh, a state that they feel has not respected their democratic wills, uh, by, by um, again, what we faced 20 years ago at the disengagement, which is a wholesale besmirchment of people who want something like and back then it was we don't want to disengage from gaza we don't want to evacuate gaza and now it's like we want just minimum things to get us to what everybody agrees in is minimum western uh, uh, norms of democracy for example that judges shouldn't judge themselves and yet we were painted as people who wanted to make some kind of revolution and yet the revolution was like you know sent sent right over our heads and basically we were told no 
the country is not going to respect your, your, your democratic will. And that's, okay, that's my perspective on it. I gave that my perspective. There's definitely another side. But let me put it to you this way. A lot of people are not feeling so good. And they feel an instability. They also feel quashed. Uh, people like my mom are like, I know all about this. This is exactly the way it was in the Soviet Union, where you are quashed, where you have to accept a lie, where people tell you things you know, that, that, that you don't believe, but you can't say much about it because that's it. Um, so there's, there's, there, there's this atmosphere here. And you said something to me that I thought, Zev Ornstein, uh, you said something to me that I thought was uh, prescient, uh, prescient, if that's the way to pronounce it, um, that, that made me think, that led to some other stuff that we'll talk about afterwards. But, but tell me that thought that you had that kind of was like the opportune aspect uh, of this moment. Connecting it to, uh, to the Passover festival again, one of the things it says in the Haggadah, which is the text that, that we read uh, on Passover night, uh, talks about that, that we have the obligation to see ourselves as if we personally went out of Egypt. And there are stories in this, uh, in this Haggadah text telling stories of great sages throughout history, how they celebrated the festival. And, and one of the things that, that we learn uh, is not just on Passover night are we talking about uh, what happened three and a half thousand years ago when we left Egypt, but we're talking about what are the challenges that we have today? What are the things that are enslaving us today? Uh, where are we not yet free as a nation? Uh, and also on Passover night to think about, you know, what's holding us back and how can we get to the places we want to get to as a nation and experience real uh, national liberation. Uh, and just like when we left Egypt, uh, we left uh, as a nation, but, but there were very many different viewpoints uh, that went into the wilderness. Uh, and there were a lot of challenges with that. And uh, we had to learn to find a way to uh, to live together. And I think one of the things that uh, we've never... That was all by Mim Hahem. What about Bazman okay. Hazeh? So in, in these times, one of the things that I think we've never really had an opportunity to do, when, when Israel was, was being reestablished in 1948 and the years that led up to it, uh, there was a lot of pressure in terms of, we just had the Holocaust and, and you had uh, the British were leaving, we were trying to drive them out, and the Arabs wanted to destroy us. Uh, and so there was never really a time ideologically to say, all right, well, well what's our country going to look like? What are, the, what, what are the values? What's the philosophy? Uh, in Israel's Declaration of Independence, it said, we're going to have a constitution. Uh, but that never happened because we didn't know if we were going to be around tomorrow or next week or in a month or even a year. Uh, you just didn't know. Uh, it was very precarious. And that probably remained the case easily through 1967, maybe even through 1973 or so, 25 years or so into Israel's uh, reestablishment. And by that point, you're already 25 years in and, and there's no constitution and there's no real conversation about what is this country. Uh, and much of the last few decades have been focused on uh, should there be a Palestinian state or not? Do we like Bibi or not? And for the first time, I think really in about 75 years, maybe 80 years plus, uh, there's actually a conversation going on. Maybe it's not a very nice conversation and the ways it's being carried out are, are not the ways we would like for it to happen. But for the first time, the the debate and discourse in this country is over the character of this country. What does it mean to be a Jewish state? Do we want it to be a Jewish state? Maybe we just want a Hebrew-speaking Jewish majority, but culturally it will be Western or something else. Uh, and and right now, this, this uh, judicial reform issue uh, has brought to the fore something that has been lying beneath the surface of Israeli society for decades. Uh, and while right now it's very, very painful, uh, there is the potential, uh, if, if we can find a way to kind of take some of these divisive issues that are, 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 are causing the divide right now and say, wait a second, let's, let's talk about the big picture. Who are we as a nation? What are we trying to do in this, in this country that we call home? Uh, and, you know, maybe out of this painful period in, in, in this nation's history, 
uh, something very sweet and beautiful could come out of it. So what you're saying, in other words, is this is a moment opportune and ripe for a deep conversation about the purpose and meaning of the state of Israel. And so a crisis should not be wasted. It could be utilized properly, just like a family fight. Sometimes, you know, uh, uh, irons out, kinks, makes you understand where you're going, helps you get, you know, and sometimes it's not beautiful, but, but, but there's an opportunity. And I really like that when you told me that, that gave me, that gave me heart. So one last question, and we got to get to matzah baking. Um, <clears throat> similarly, I was searching in my mind for alternatives to understand how the situation is because there's a bitterness. And I wanted to be on, on my Twitter feed to like get out of bitterness. And I threw out, again, interestingly enough, this happened at the Adler's uh, for lunch. Uh, Rivka Adler threw out the idea that maybe some state apparatuses are falling apart in a long-term sense to be replaced by the Davidic monarchy. And I wrote that with a little tongue-in-cheek, with a little English, a little spin. I wrote it in Twitter. Now, some people just flipped out on it. And I, and, I, and I also turn this to you, not only just as a person who's thinking about the conversation, but also as a representative of the city of David, which is, um, in, in part, as its name implies, bringing out a consciousness of connectivity to King David, right? That, that first Jewish monarchy... That uh, that first Jewish Commonwealth, second monarch, uh, but 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 that but that thing. I also, interestingly enough, threw out the UAE as a model. Now, everybody Israeli that has been to the UAE has come back and been like, "That's a pretty amazing place, very safe too." And people were like, "UAE? Do we want to be like the UAE? Do we want no, I mean, UAE is bad, but but it's kind of good." And and I could see that it, that also caused a conversation. So, but but other people were like, no, 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 no. They wanted to quelch that, that conversation, quash that conversation about uh, about mon- Jewish monarchy. And not that I meant it about now, but people sensed a danger in it. So, what's your thoughts about thinking and talking about? Let's let's not even call it monarchy. Let's call it about King David as a model and as an inspiration for our time. I think one of the great things about King David, which uh, I think is lacking today in uh, pretty much every, every uh, government around the world. Uh, King David uh, was not perfect, uh, but when he uh, stumbled, he took ownership, tried to make things right. Uh, and that's why David, with all of his flaws, is uh, God says, I'm going to have an everlasting uh, dynasty through you, uh, that you're a man after God's own heart. Uh, again, with all of his uh, imperfections. And I think if we look at Jewish history, uh, pretty much after David and then after Solomon, the kingdom splits. Uh, and it never gets reunited. And then when we, you know, the Babylonians will destroy uh, the Temple of Solomon uh, some 2,500 years ago. We come back to the land 70 years later, rebuild the temple again. But even then, there were, there were factions. Uh, and up until the end, we say in, a, in Jewish tradition that the reason why Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans was due to baseless hatred uh, amongst the Jewish people. And perhaps this is something that going back the last 2,900 years, uh, from after the period of David and Solomon, when our kingdom split, we haven't figured it out yet. How can we live together? Yes, we have differences. There were 12 tribes. Each tribe had, a tribe has its unique character and, and uh, its strengths and its weaknesses and, and its stubbornnesses. And, and that's great because we're one nation and we have to find a way somehow uh, to be one nation, uh, respecting the differences that we have as these various tribes, uh, but also being able to unite with a common purpose, a common goal, even if we sometimes want to get there different ways. And I think this is something that, you know, going back to Passover, going back to King David, this is thousands of years in the making, that it's an amazing thing that we have an opportunity today in 5783-2023 
uh, to to potentially rectify. Uh, and it would be a blessing to those who came before us, and it'll be an even bigger blessing to those who will come after us uh, if we can get this right. So what you're saying is, is that when we talk about King David, it's not just about this great monarch. It's also about a period of unity. He was the uniter. He was the uniter of the tribes. He was the one who established the United Kingdom. Uh, and he was the one, again, with, with all the challenges, he found a way to unite all of Israel. And I think that's something that we're aspiring in some way to, to get back to, to have unity as a nation. Doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. Doesn't mean we're not going to have challenges. Uh, but we're going to be united uh, with a shared purpose, common goal. Uh, and God willing, our generation will be the one that uh, will help to uh, get us back in that, on that path. I love it, and I think I'm going to add a tweet to that based on based on what you just said. Um, the City of David is a great place to visit, and there's many more new things that are happening at City of David, including the beautiful new park at Gay Ben Hinnom. Uh, but one of the things that I do want to recommend to people right now as we're talking on the show, of course, if you're visiting, you've got to, in it to Israel, you certainly got to come to the City of David. But I want to recommend for those people who are not coming this year, not coming anytime soon, check out the Megalim videos in Hebrew and in English. Uh, kids are growing up on it. Fabulous, fabulous videos on a high level. That is, that is, Magim, we're coming. We're, we're coming to bake. We're coming to bake matzah right now. Okay, so everyone's seen. We're going to bake matzah. I'll just say one last thing for those who who may be in Israel or are coming to Israel. Uh, we are unearthing as we speak in the city of David, the place where Jerusalem began, the Shiloach Pool, the Pool of Siloam, which was a giant mikvah that before going up to the temple, uh, two thousand plus years ago, our ancestors would go to the mikvah there. Almost three million of them. Uh, and we're excavating the pilgrimage road uh, that our ancestors walked on when they went up to the temple. So you could literally come this time of year and, and literally walk in the footsteps of the Bible, walk in the footsteps that our ancestors walked on when they went on pilgrimage up to the Beit HaMikdash, to the temple. And so uh, come experience it for yourself. And that's King David's vision coming to fruition. Zev Ornstein, uh, Director of International Relations at the City of David. Thank you so much and have a great matzah bake. Looking forward to it. Hello, my name is Anthony Barrett and I'm from Dublin, Ireland. And I'm here uh, volunteering in the land of Israel, which I love with all my heart. All the way from Ireland, we listen to the Yishai Flesher show. I'm one of many Irish people who love and support the nation of Israel and the people of Israel. And we pray God's blessing and protection on you. I'm walking in beautiful fields right now uh, in Gush Etzion, the mountains of Judea. And I'm walking with my buddy Ari Abramowitz, one of the founders of the Land of Israel Network, the, the farm and the... Uh, the fellowship, and you'd think we'd be having such a nice evening tonight, but actually we're just walking maybe 100 steps away uh, from one of the most painful funerals that I'm sure Ari and I have ever been at, and that is uh, Maya uh, and Rina D, two young women murdered at Point Blank Range by a jihadist terrorist who shot at them. Their mother, uh, maybe mercifully in some way, uh, is in the hospital uh, under sedation, um, also hit in this uh, horrible terror attack. The father, a guy who I know, uh, who I see around town, a uh, British intellectual, uh, lives in Israel, lives in Efrat, uh, was in the car ahead with his son. Uh, the wife suddenly was not behind him, turned around. I think he may have heard shots, turned around, and he saw what he saw. Um, thousands of people just showed up to this funeral. Um, and one of the hardest things, Ari Brown, what's for me, I don't know why, but uh, they announced that the way that they bury uh, these these two victims, these two terrific, these two holy ktoshot, 
uh, is kind of one on top of the other. They buried one. They put down the slabs. It's like a deep cave. They said a machpelah. They used that word, the double cave of the Marta machpelah. And they buried one, and, and then and then the second one. Really, very, very uh, hard. And you, when I asked you to do an interview with me, you said to me, you know, I don't know if I have five words, but I said it's so important to uh, to try to get across uh, Ari what what we're seeing here. Speaking of that name, Ari, uh, we've known another good friend who had who had uh, fallen and is buried here, and that's uh, Ari Fold. So, yeah, thoughts, man. Uh, the truth is, that, like, the, I came here because I felt like I needed to feel this visceral pain. I needed to see it. I needed to bury them with my hands. I needed to see them go into the into the into the ground forever. These two sweet girls are like. <laughs> To see, uh, to see this kind of, uh, it's really, it's really an impossible thing, you know, Ari. And uh, and there's really, there's really no words. Like you said to me, honestly, there are really no words. And yet, and yet, though, and yet, see, the thing is, is that there's also, there are words, right? Because we do, this, this is not something that we want to keep seeing happen. And that's the other side. I keep switching between like absolute devastation and grief. And at some level, like gratitude that I'm feeling that at least, like at least I'm feeling it. Like mm-hmm. I'm that's the worst thing is not feeling it. Right. And like grief and devastation, and then just rage, rage. Like I wanna, I wanna kill. You know what I mean? Like the, 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 the villages are celebrating and handing out candies and fireworks, and we're like, well, who, what you burn it down. Burn it down. There's such evil in our midst that murders innocent little girls. Like, and we're just allowing it and we're just turning over and allowing it because of some demented Western liberal perception of what is right and wrong. And, uh, and, and I just feel like, like how much, how much more can we do before Hashem sends us some sort of you know, I don't know whether it's it's rage is the right response. I, I, I need to say something, which is I, I want every, any listener who has like a, a moment where it feels like, well, well, was that appropriate? I just want to say, in every society, in every point in history, when you murder the daughters of that tribe of that nation, that's that's the you go you go crazy, Eddie. You go nuts. You do not accept that. These people. This is know, when you make a posse. This is when you go crazy. Hawara, like if Hawara. If they said, this is not us, we found the terrorist, here he is, that's one thing. Right. That's one thing. Right. But if they're all celebrating and dancing in the streets and giving out candy, if they're hiding and abetting the terrorist, then that is an evil that we need to expunge from the land. That's it. That's all I have to say. And I'm just like, we need Mashiach. We need, we need redemption. I'm just like... Thinking like what? How well, Hashem is trying to do something to our hearts. Obviously, how much more is it going to take before we just cry out and break and shatter and say, Hashem, bring it ulah? But we don't know what you want from us. But let us do it. Let do it. Help us do it. Whatever it is. Speaking of Hashem, uh, you know, uh, even though evil needs to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, avenged. And, and 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 justice might we have to instill justice in the land at the same time there is a message from god one of the overt messages that we've seen throughout this period is the death of siblings there was two sets of brothers and now a set of sisters and then the rabbi mentioned that this shabbat we're going to be reading parashat shmini where we see the death of the two sons of aaron two brothers according to some 
traditions. They were actually very holy. But there is definitely another message. You enunciated the message of the wish for justice and, for, and to expunge evil from our land. And yet there's another side to this whole thing, which is brotherhood. And such a sense that we have right now a tear. A tear as big as this valley that we're looking at right now. of A tear uh, in, in our, our peoplehood and a tear of our consciousness, a tear between different parts of our land. Here we are in Judea, but down there in the mountain, in the, in the, in the coastal plain and in the Tel Aviv area, they have a completely different consciousness. And I'll give you just one example from, a, from I don't think anybody in Tel Aviv thinks this way, but there is a thought there maybe, and that is somebody wrote to me on Twitter. They're like, well, you know, you guys are part of a Zionist cult. You're taking somebody else's land, and this is what happens to occupiers and abusers and that whole kind of thing. And there are people who want to believe that those notions... And my point is, is that there's such a tear in our peoplehood right now. So that's the other side of this thing. That's the other, you know, and I didn't see today here, you know, all of Tel Aviv uh, at this funeral. I yeah. saw Gush Etzion. You didn't see them that, that we know of. But I, I would, I want to believe and I do believe that there are, is heartbreak in Tel Aviv also. But to those people that point back and say, oh, you know, there's, that's what happens when you occupy land. Tell me when in history there's been an occupier in the land and those who are occupied go murdering the occupiers, slaughtering their babies, and then there's the celebration. That's not about politics. That's not about occupation. That is a level of demonic evil psychosis that transcends any sort of, you know, normative explanation that you can give to it. And so we need to respond to it in that way also. And maybe the answer is, you know, what the Rav said, Vayudom Aaron. Maybe it's time for us just to be silent. We don't even know what to say anymore. There's so much. Anything we say is just going to dig us deeper into the rift separating us from each other from Hashem. We just need to be silent and just in our hearts pray to Hashem. You know, because my, my, my tefillah, my davening isn't to, for revenge and killing Arabs. That's my tefillah, my prayer is for them to open their eyes and for them to say, wow, these are our cousins. These are holy Jews. We love them. What have we done? What have we done for us to come back together as a humanity? while their prayers are for to bury all of us like those two girls are being buried. So I don't even know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm saying. I, 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 and, and, and I did ask you, almost unfairly, to do radio right after. Like I'm talking about steps. We're, we're still looking at it. At a distance, there it is. And there's, there's thousands of girls who are, uh, who, who are friends. And, and these two girls were well-known. Because they were uh, very volunteer-like. They volunteered at farms exactly like mine. I know. That's why I feel like I'm like affected so deeply. Because I, without knowing these girls, I know these girls. Right. Because they come and they volunteer at our farm. And they work with the sheep. And they work the land. And they're outside barefoot playing the flutes, saying to Helim. And I look at them and I have hope. I have hope for the future of the Jewish people. Hope for the world. And then to take that hope and to, to murder it so brutally and then to bury it in the ground there's a name for that by the way you said before demonic you're saying something there's actually a name for that whole thing that name is Molech it's a Molech cult there's a cult here that wants to destroy our children wants to burn them it it, it worships death and that's the energy here and like like if you take those verses and you're like you gotta get rid of this from your land This this is not to be in your land we're people of life we're people of flourishing we don't worship death 
We worship life. We worship. We don't worship life either. We worship Hashem, who is who is says about himself that he's the essence of life. He's the source of life, creativity, building, loving, family, joy, fertility, uh, planting and tilling the soil, uh, building buildings with creativity, medicine and ideas, and of course the worship of God at the, at the heart of it all. And and these girls, they had that. Of course, also their father was like us, a Zionist who came from the diaspora. British Zionist, he was an assistant to Rabbi, Rabbi Sachs, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, uh, a British intellectual. And I, do you agree with me that there is some feeling of, like you wanted to be here today to, 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 to get that finality, to get that closure. Like do you feel something, do you feel at least I feel a little hakala, how do we call that in English, a little like, a, a little lightning, just a tad. Oh, you know what else I want to tell you, Ari? I told my wife, times in Israel are real bad. But I'm thankful that I'm here. Yeah. In it. In it. I'm so thankful that if there was going to be a funeral of these two girls, that I was going to be here. And when I saw you, I, I thought to myself, he has the same feeling. Yeah. He wants to be here. He, if it's going to be buried and it's going to be a horrible thing, but it's in our land and our problems, we're going to be here. We're not going to be spectators from afar. Yeah, you know, at our farm right now, it's Cholomo at Pesach. And that's the time when all the tourists and everybody comes. We have groups and groups. And I was like, no, I can't. I can't just keep going on. And, uh, you know, I, I, we need to be here right now. And we need to feel this pain. And we need to feel our hearts rip in half. And we need to be in touch with that pain. And, uh, yeah, you know, seeing the, seeing the father, I just had my eyes fixated on him. And I just was, I'm like, what could be going through his mind bearing his two sweet loving dog, seeing the sisters and seeing him. And I'm just like, I keep thinking, he's just like, I need to be strong for my remaining children. You know, the mother's in the emergency room. It's not clear that she's going to make it. Like, this is so horrifically devastating. And that's why I just keep thinking, like, this, we're on the cusp of redemption. This should be the thing that pushes, uh, pushes us over. Amen, amen. Uh, I also saw one of the rabbis that I very much respect, uh, Rabbi Schnerb. Oh. And I saw him. And I heard him speak once in Hebron. That's why I respect him so much, because he like blew my mind. It happens to be the Rabbi Schnerb, I don't remember, maybe it was two years ago, maybe three, buried his daughter, who was killed by a, like a roadside bomb when they went to a spring in the mountains of Samaria. And they sat down next to a spring. A, a, a pipe bomb went off and murdered his daughter next to him. He got injured. He had to be at the hospital when his daughter, and her name also was Rina. And this too, and I said to him, I said to him, I was like, I said to him, Rabbi, it, it breaks my heart to see you. He says to me, why? I said, well, you know, just because you're also, you know, you also had to bury a, a young girl, Rena. And he says to me, I, I didn't have the merit to be at my daughter's funeral, so I'm here today. I was like, oh, you know what I mean? So anyway, Ari Brown, what's... Uh, I'm sorry to having to to pull you over uh, at this tough um, at this tough moment, but it is. But at least we're here, you know. At least we're with this moment. Let me just moment. ask you a question. Go ahead. You know, we're Rachmanim b'nei Rachmanim, right? That's what the sages say that a, the Jewish people are compassionate, the children of compassion. And if you see a Jew that doesn't have compassion, you should wonder about their actual Jewish lineage and heritage. Uh, is are we being pushed? right now what does Hashem want from us right now is it to overcome that natural predisposition for compassion and love and and uh you know delicately dealing with the or are, what what does Hashem want from us right now what do you think it is well if you ask me uh, I think that 
it says that we are the merciful son of merciful, but it also says he's merciful on the wicked, you know, becomes at the end wicked to the merciful. And, and here, I, I really actually think that it's, it's not messianic and it's not anything, it's very plain. There's a very serious criminal underclass, a jihadist underclass in our land. It seeks to destroy us. It is Nazi-like. It has no-go zones. It creates areas which are forward bases for its jihadism, for its Nazism. And God says, hello, I have given you an army. I've given you everything. Now go and, and, and take these people out. They t- take them out of here. If those who fight you, they should be destroyed. Those who want to repent, give them a chance. Those who want to run away, that's really probably the preferable thing. You know, and, and be real. Like, like, in a sense, like, for me, it's like, it's it's not it's not it's not mystical and it's not tricky. It's actually we've been and you said you mentioned it before. We've been brainwashed with these Western ideals. And you heard by the way, Yosef Haddad, a Christian Arab, speaking on an Israeli TV. He's like, you guys are not. You guys are acting like a bunch of Ashkenazim. You guys are, don't understand. I hear this Your from Arabs. Your military needs to learn how to speak Arabic. Right, That's literally what he said. Right, and and what he means by that is. Be, do to the Arabs what they would do to you, like act with them properly in in the Middle East way. So therefore, it's like in in many ways, like I'm just I'm more frustrated about the kind of idiocy that I see around me, like uh, that this lack of wanting to be like this region, and that's 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 what that's actually what frustrates me. And so so to me, I, I mean, I don't you know for me like sometimes when we turn it into messianic language, I think that we kind of. We, we miss the point and then for we kind of because again we don't want to face it the real problem here is Jewish idiocy it really I, 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 it hurts to say it. that's the problem here we're being not like this region and we're not taking care of business in a normal fashion and we're allowing these things to keep going and, and really I would say if I, I would say two things I was thinking about this today really two very simple things more Judaism return to the study of Bible return to the study of Judaism um, and uh, and more normal fighting of jihadism. Do those two things. I don't think it's Jewish idiocy. We're not idiots. I think it's an, it's just an identity crisis. It's a complete lack of understanding of who we are and what we're about. And this whole conflict isn't going to be solved. It's going to be transcended. And I'm, I, I carry with me Rina Schnarb. I think about her all the time. <laughs> Ori Ansbacher, Ari Fold. You know how many how many people can and we're we talking carry about? Twenty people murdered in the last you know month and a half. We're talking a, a serious amount of people. Like it's like wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, and and we don't want to deal with it. And we want to catch the mosquitoes, but we don't want to dry out the the you know the swamp. And so, mm. and so that's very frustrating on, on a more like in a more very plain policy way. Yeah, yeah. I got to give it to you, Shai. Like, I don't know how you pull out the radio and do this at a time like this. But then, I, you know, when you said this, do radio, I'm like, does this guy have no heart? And I'm like, no, he does have a heart. And it's for Am Yisrael. And we, this is Dafka, the, the tough stuff, the painful stuff that we need. We need to share. The world needs to know. Ari, the very reason that you and I are standing right here, and the very reason that you and I got close to the tomb, to touch it, to feel it, to feel that pain, there are many people around the world, and you can hear young ladies crying right now, there are many people around the world that want to touch it and feel it. This, is, this recording that we're doing right now is just to provide people that opportunity to, to shed that tear, to get that, feel that anger, yeah. to feel that pain. People want that. They want that, that, that pathway, that avenue. And of course, you know, you know we, for the last you know, 20 plus years, you and I have been finding ways to connect people to, uh, to the story of the return of the Jewish people to the end of Israel and the revelation of God's you know, face in this land. Uh, and the flourishing of this land as you're doing on the on the farm. And so, yeah, I pulled you over, and I'm, it was a little callous of me, but I knew that it was important to not just sh- have the pain inside of us and feel closure, but to help others. Okay. Ari Barbowitz, as we say, let me finish up by saying, um, 
I took I took a few guys uh, as a hitchhiking, and I said to them at the end, I said, "May God will it that I'll take you next time to hitchhike to smachot, to yes, happy things." So I'd love to record with you again next time, but the next time besmachot bezrat Hashem, always besmachot. Amen. Amen. Love you, Shai. All right, folks, that was quite uh, that was quite a tri- triad of powerful speakers. Uh, first, uh, Arya Lightstone, then Zev Ornstein, uh, then Arya Bramwitz. Uh, powerful thoughts in a powerful time. Malka Fleischer, we're here in Hebron, uh, kind of amongst the ruins, next to a petting zoo, heading towards the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs, which is open now fully today. Uh, and uh, the Muslim side, so-called, is today uh, open to Jewish visitation. So we're going to, to that. Uh, there's an issue of the Temple Mount. It might get closed for the last 10 days of Ramadan. There's a big fight right now about that. It's, it's exactly the same thing. Do Jewish people have a right to visit it? Or, or are we some kind of um, you know, catalyst for tension and violence? I had a New York Times reporter write to, uh, ask me. He said, you know, but why do you want to go up on these 10 days? Don't you know it's a catalyst for violence? I'm like, what are you, a spokesman for for?" For Jewish dehimitude, like second classness, like why why should it be a problem? Like it's a humongous complex. Let us go to the Temple Mount. It's our place as well. You guys pray in your things. Well, why should that even be a problem? Right. We should be able to walk together uh, in the same spot without it being a, a source of violence. But uh, I want to just fix one, or not fix, offer a different perspective, Isha. I don't like to call this area ruins, and I don't think that we should say we're standing in ruins. This is really just like we were talking about before, where the where our past informs our present, informs our future. This is only simply a place in flux. Israel is full of places that have been brought down and brought up and brought down and brought up again. This is not a this is not a ruin. I see people living here. I see people walking through. I see I see animals. I see children. I see a little goat eating little leaves with a little toddler standing next to it. It's uh it's not a ruin. There's nothing ruined. That's right. And uh and you know, here we are in the the holiday of Passover. You know, Egypt was ruined. But this is not ruined. There's a major difference. I agree with you 100%. In fact, I could see myself. You see over here was a, like a big broken building. We brought a tractor and moved it out of there. And this whole area was like just much worse shape. Now it's being slowly beautified and taken over. Uh, and so we're, we're making it happen. Maka, uh, I don't think we're going to do too much about our sponsors today because of the burial and because of the things. It's also Cholomo. There's a lot. But I'll just mention very quickly uh, our good friends at JNS.org and JewishPress.com will put out great news. Definitely recommend. Don't go to the other sites. Go to JNS.org and JewishPress.com. Thank you very much. We got Prohibition Pickle. We yep. want to thank them very much for their sponsorship. Yeah, we're talking about, you're, you're pointing to the watch. Yeah, that's right. Retro watch guy. I'm not wearing my retro watch guy watch today, but I do on, uh, on many special occasions. Uh, we have our new biking uh, folks, uh, our new biking folks, which is koshercycletours.com, also part of our program as well. Yes, so thank you so much to all of our... High on the Har, Malka. High on the Har, excuse me, that's the last, let's save the best for last. High on the Har, if you want to get up to the Temple Mount... Dot com. Dot com. If, you want, if you want to get up to the Temple Mount in No, holiness. you need to get up to, to, to the Temple Mount. If you're going to the Temple Mount and you want to go in uh, the correct way and get all the information about how to go up there and be treated to more information about what's going on there today, what used to go on there, and what hopefully will go there in the future, highontheheart.com. That's right, and hebronfund.org, of course, keeping this Hebron beautiful and alive and kicking after 3,800 years. And if you want to support the show, it's easy enough. Just <laughs> there's turkey noises, there's all kinds of geese noises. You go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai, buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai. And the same thing is at yishaifleischer.com for all of our shows, articles, videos, 
uh, and supporting our, our big efforts. So there you go. That's the stuff that makes the show happen. Maka, thank you very much. Chag Sameach. And may we hear good news. May we hear blessings. Of course, the show wouldn't happen without the good help of Yochevet Seidman, Moshe Herman, Ben Bresky, Tabitha, and Lewin. We're live. We can't do it without you, so thank you very much. All right, folks, lots of love and lots of blessings from the land of blessings, uh, from this good land, and happy Pesach. May we hear good news, only good news, and only strength. And shalom.